a look at news, analysis, and insight from around the Big Ten Conference. This is Big Ten Paradigm, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Mark Rogers. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Big Ten Paradigm right here on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. And uh, we hope that you will check out all the podcasts here on the landscape of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. I'm Mark Rogers. You can catch me on YouTube at the Voice of College Football. We produce content each and every day with 25 team channels and a main channel covering college football. Best discussion, debate, and analysis. That's what we like to say with your help. Got Steve Hellwagon here from Bucknuts 247 Sports. We appreciate Steve jumping on line with us uh, for the Big Ten Paradigm, but also you can catch Steve's work at Bucknuts 247 Sports. That's bucknuts.com. And of course, Steve joins us every Wednesday for Ohio State Football Talk on our Ohio State Voice of College Football channel on YouTube. So check it out. We go live typically Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern time to talk Ohio State football. Steve, good to see you. Good to hear from you and get your perspective on. The game that everyone was waiting for that uh, was a heck of a game for about 50 minutes and then got away from Ohio State. And uh, you were there and just uh, kind of set the scene for us in regards to what happened and what uh, what the vibe was like in the stadium. Yeah, it was a crazy game, no doubt about it. Ohio State had some opportunities early to grab control of the game and they failed. Uh, once in the red zone, they had to settle for a short field goal. And another time they had a first down at the 40-yard line. They ultimately uh, turned it over on downs on that series on a fourth down pass that went off the tight end's hands. And they're only up 10-3 to at that point. And the lead could have well been 17-3 to or even 21-3 to at that point had they played their cards properly. And they opened the door. And so uh, on third and nine on that very next series, Ohio State went to a zero coverage, brought an all-out blitz, and J.J. McCarthy off his back foot got the ball out to Cornelius Johnson. He made the Ohio State defensive back miss, and he was gone down the sidelines for a 69-yard touchdown. And now the game is tied 10-10. to Ohio State's outplayed Michigan for 20 minutes uh, to start the game, and they're starting over. At 10-10, it's tied, and Ohio State basically built a monster here. They had the opportunity early in this game to grab control, failed to do so, and then Michigan played a freewheeling game. Jim Harbaugh pulled out every last stop, went for it on fourth down on his own 34-yard line in the second half, uh, threw a jump pass with a running back to a tight end, And while Ohio State was as tight as a drum calling the game offensively and taking chances, uh, Michigan was pulling out all the stops and doing everything it took to win. And then all of a sudden, Ohio State had all these huge breakdowns defensively, coverage breakdowns, losing the receiver, not getting a good enough pass rush. All these things added up, and uh, Michigan took full advantage, hit a number of big plays on Ohio State that – Michigan uh, had not uh, really had much of the season. Ohio State, to be honest, had given up some big plays the previous week against Maryland, which was somewhat of a warning call. And uh, those big plays really haunted them, obviously, in this game. Uh, The running back, Donovan Edwards, filling in for Blake Corum, eventually had touchdown runs of 75 and 85 yards, and Michigan pulled away and won this game 45-23. to 
a 22-point win for Michigan, its largest in this series since 1976, Ohio State's worst loss at Ohio Stadium since 1999 uh, when they lost at home to Illinois by 26 points. And uh, Michigan uh, won in Columbus for the first time in 22 years and won back-to-back games against Ohio State for the first time in 22 years since 1999 and 2000. So a lot of firsts and worsts for this Ohio State defense and this Ohio State team as uh, they got beaten pretty much pillar to post in the second half by Michigan. Michigan had 243, 242 yards rushing in the second half to uh, to just bury Ohio State. And, uh, you know, a lot of questions and not very many answers for Ohio State. Probably the worst Ohio State defensive performance, maybe back to the 63-14 to game against Penn State in 1994. And uh, certainly, uh, it set a record. Uh, Michigan uh, had uh, averaged right about 8.7 or 8.8 yards per play. And uh, that's an all-time record against an Ohio State defense. Uh, They had roughly 60 plays for 500 yards. And uh, breaks the record that Maryland set in that awful 52-51 to overtime game in Maryland a few years ago. So yeah, it was, uh, it was really uh, something, uh, something to behold there on Saturday as Ohio state had its helmet handed to it at, uh, at the horseshoe. First loss or worst loss at the shoe against Michigan since 76, right, Steve, 22, nothing. And you stated. Yeah. Ties uh, ties that worst. And prior to that, you have to go back, I think to 1946, they gave up 58 points and lost 58-6 to six at home uh, to Michigan uh, back there in the 40s at Ohio Stadium. But, uh, yeah, ties the, wor- the worst margin in, uh, at Ohio Stadium uh, since uh, in, that, in that rivalry since 1976. I bring that up because uh, that was the first time I got a glimmer of Bo Schembechler being carted off the field uh, on his players' uh, shoulders in a 22-0 win, and that's my first glimpse of the series and first remembrance of the series uh, as a youngster there in 1976. And then, of course, Michigan won the game 28-0 in 93 at the big house. Yeah. Okay. And 31 to three the time before that in uh, 91. So they had back to back 28 point wins and this one 22, you know, now, I mean, you could have carried a Harbaugh off on their shoulders. You could have carried off JJ McCarthy off on their shoulders. You could have carried off Donovan Edwards who rushed for over 200 yards after not playing the previous week against Illinois with a wrist injury, uh, carrying the ball with his off hand, uh, he uh, he had a career day as well, so it was uh, it, as Jim Harbaugh termed it, a locker room full of heroes. And uh, you know, this guy went from being uh, the the punching bag and the punchline at Michigan uh, just not all that long ago to the toast of the town now. And uh, they're going to name a street for the guy, I think, eventually here. Probably that one that runs just south of the stadium by the golf course. Yeah, uh, roughly one year and one week ago uh, was a much different uh, narrative. And you bring up a back who didn't carry the ball last week or didn't carry the ball um, (laughs) at all this season that uh, we thought maybe in the first quarter we'd be talking about right now, and that would have been Chip Tranum, uh, because Ohio State came out with a much different personnel look at uh, running back in regards to who got carries. Uh, We expected maybe Dallin Hayden to play a big role. Of course, Mayan Williams was probably compromised. 
a bit and they went to Tranum. They were pretty successful there. Um, Johnson got a number of carries. He was pretty successful running the football. And Steve, if you would have just handed anybody who's followed these two teams a stat sheet at halftime and said, okay, one team did this, ran for 115 yards to 10, and then the other team had to hit two big plays just to stay in the game. They did nothing else, but they hit two huge pass plays. Well, you would have flipped the two teams. Yeah, it felt like the Penn State-Michigan game where uh, Penn State uh, had that defensive touchdown, you know, and, and kind of stayed in contact with Michigan. And you just – everybody knew that in the second half that uh, Michigan was going to pull away. Uh, which they did. I think the reverse was probably the thought by a lot of people at halftime at Ohio State that the Buckeyes would hit a big play or two in the second half. But uh, Ohio State's offense just continued to sputter. Uh, a lot of passes off people's hands and a lot of golden opportunities missed and uh, very conservative play calling. I think it all kind of added up. Um you know, as we said, here's Harbaugh going for it on fourth down, throwing a jump pass with a running back and doing all these these things um, that, uh, y- you know, that, that teams that, that have nothing to lose uh, or that they're playing to win, that they do. And here's Ohio State twice on fourth down in Michigan territory in the second half putting the ball away. And uh, once into the end zone for a touchback, so you netted next to nothing. So... Um, you know, Ohio State was still in this game uh, for the longest time. Uh, Michigan tried a long field goal with about eight or nine minutes to go. The Buckeyes got it back, drove into the into the red zone. But uh, C.J. Stroud trying to make a play on third and ten through an underhanded uh, interception. And I think Michigan on the very next play, Donovan Edwards took it 75 yards. And now the lead's 15. And um, – you know, Ohio State's just not coming back from that at that point. So it, uh, you know, it just kind of mushroomed on them there at the end. And uh, that's that's just the, the way it all kind of uh, ended up, I guess. And, uh, you know, um, outcoached on both sides, outplayed uh, really on both sides. And, uh, you know, Michigan planted a flag at the end and, and no one really seemed to care much about it because uh, – you know, to the victor goes the spoils, and uh, Michigan certainly, uh, you know, this wasn't a game that Ohio State, you know, that the Michigan backed into. This was one that they went out in the second day, second half and just dominated Ohio State and won the football game. You're listening to Big Ten Paradigm on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network with Mark Rogers. we got Steve Hellwagon here from Bucknuts 247 Sports. Uh, Join Steve and his work on Bucknuts for not just Ohio State football, but basketball coverage there as well and uh, I know Ryan Day didn't give much of a response in the post game nor did I expect him to to the fourth down decisions but for a team that's so aggressive and typically and so uh, confident of its quarterback and wide receiver play in particular and the one uh, fourth down decision to punt was especially uh, head-scratching in that they had battled back from a first and 35 to get to fourth and three to five, something in that range. And just because they were down, I think it was 31-20 at the time, they're down two scores. There's about 10 minutes left. And uh, it just, even for, even for a conservative team that's going by the analytics, you would think, okay, well, we, we've got to convert here. This is 
the opportunity you take. You don't gain much from punting necessarily. And, and this is the time to go for it. But uh, between that and just Jim Knowles strategy, which seemed to be, shoot, working for 90 some percent of the plays in the first half, they just got gashed twice. Um, yeah, it's just uh, seems as though Ohio State kind of went all in on that defensive strategy and they eventually got burned and burned a number of times. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is something, you know, Michigan had their best day of the season offensively, at least in big 10 play, you know, against a quality opponent. And, um, you know, they made Ohio state look awful defensively. And, uh, you know, I don't know what, what really to, to say, I think it's coaching and uh, talent level on defense is not where it needs to be. There was no pass rush in this game, uh, which has been kind of a recurring theme. Uh, JT Tui Maloa had one big game this year. Jack Sawyer had one big game. Zach Harrison's had a couple big games, but no consistency really to the pass rush all season long. Uh, they were credited with a sack on an intentional grounding call. Cody Simon came on a blitz and uh, hit McCarthy as he was throwing the ball away, and there was no receiver there, so they called it grounding, a spot foul, and a sack for the defense on that play, but otherwise – they never touched J.J. McCarthy the rest of the game, and uh, he picked them apart. And um, so uh, what can you say? It's just uh, Michigan's on to the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State has to await uh, what its fate will be uh, this Sunday when the, the playoff rankings, the playoff pairings, and the New Year's Six Bowl games are announced. They're guaranteed nothing worse than the Rose Bowl at this point as the highest-ranked Big Ten team. There's no way Penn State would move ahead of them with two losses and a head-to-head loss to Ohio State, even though the case could be well made that, you know, it would be better for Ohio State to go anywhere but the Rose Bowl after going there last year. But uh, if uh, if they can't get into the playoff, backdoor their way into the playoff, I might add, then it would definitely be the Rose Bowl for Ohio State. Hey guys, with the college football season heading toward the midway point, you need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity that you can rely on, like Bet Us. Did you know that Bet Us has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely? Well, we want you to go to betus.com and take advantage of an offer we have with all our shows right here at the College Gridiron Coast to Coast. You'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in. Get an additional $125 to play with or $200 initially deposited. Gets you $250 and so on. And bet us also as the NFL, Major League Baseball postseason, and soon the NBA, as well as almost any sport you can think of. But we know you are college football fans first and foremost, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUs.com. Check them out, BetUs.com, and remember our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUs. You bet, you win, you get paid. Ohio State didn't look like a team in the fourth quarter, certainly that deserved to go to a college football playoff. However, it's still a season-long body of work and resume and it's suddenly become fairly clear cut who these playoff teams are going to be as long as they win out georgia michigan tcu usc all right if tcu slips up then you've got a debate 
between a conference championship game appearance team in TCU versus an Ohio State team that's got one less data point and, and that you can wage that battle back and forth between TCU and Ohio State. Seems pretty certain if USC loses the Pac-12 championship game, well, Ohio State should be sitting right there to take that fourth spot. And whether they seemed as though they deserved it against Michigan, you know, the resume is better than anybody else in the country and certainly the one loss record, unless the committee comes out on Tuesday night and plops Alabama forward off the heels of a three touchdown win against a pretty bad Auburn team and drops Ohio State. So I think this this uh, ranking is extremely telling because if Ohio State stays ahead of Alabama, there's no way that the committee could ever justify then leaping Alabama ahead because both teams are going to be on the sideline next weekend. Yeah. On Sunday, we saw the football writers super 16 poll as well as the AP poll and the coaches poll. They all had Ohio state five and Alabama six, and none of them were really even that tight, which tells you that the preponderance of all the ballots had Ohio state fifth. And I can't imagine anybody had them any higher and uh, certainly had Alabama sixth or even lower, which you could actually put some other teams ahead of Alabama if you wanted to by regional bias or conference bias or whatever. But uh, at any rate, uh, you know, the case for Alabama, uh, Texas and Old Miss are their two best wins. Old Miss is out of the top 25 right now. Texas is actually ranked two spots below Notre Dame in the AP poll. We'll see what the committee comes out with. If the committee somehow has Texas ranked ahead of Notre Dame and both teams are eight and four, then that may give you an idea of what they are also thinking about Alabama and Ohio State. And, of course, Ohio State has a much better win than anything Alabama did all season with the win over Penn State, which is now, I believe, up to number seven, I think, in the AP poll uh, thereabouts. this week. So uh, with, you know, 10 and two finish, they're going to be in a new year six bowl game somewhere after they beat Michigan state to finish 10 and two. And, and again, as I said, no chance that Penn state would move ahead of Ohio state, which is the only provision to my knowledge that would allow the committee to place them at the Rose bowl. It's pretty much cut and dried that the highest ranked big 10 team that's not in the playoff uh, goes to the Rose Bowl. Now, the, the one proviso to that is if Purdue were to somehow upset Michigan, then Purdue would go to the Rose Bowl and and they'd be scattering around trying to figure out the rest of it. I assume Michigan and Georgia, even if they lose their conference championship games, would be in the playoff. They deserve that, certainly. And you made the valid point on TCU. You, you know, if you change the name of TCU to Texas, we'd be saying – even, uh, you know, with a loss in the conference championship game at 12 and one, they'd be in the playoff because of cachet as opposed to, you know, what they did on the field. Now, TCU, you know, were they a dominant, dominant 12 and 0 team? No, they, they kind of, they kind of, you know, won by hook or by crook down the stretch there. I mean, they, they had some tight ones, no doubt about it. Um, handicap in their game this week. They've already beaten Kansas State once, 38-28, to 28, I think, at TCU. But they're only a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And looking at the USC game, they lost to Utah the first time. I think Utah went for it on, on a two-point conversion at the end and may have won the game 43-42 to 42 the first time around. I think it was at Utah. And um, so USC is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So what you basically have are two toss-up games 
uh, with TCU against Kansas State and USC against Utah that will decide the last two spots in the playoff. And if the favorite teams win, they're both going, obviously. But if one of those underdogs loses, it does open the door for Ohio State. And, um, you know, say what you will, um, you know, the, the, the full 12 game or full resume for Ohio State is still not all that bad. Uh, you know, compared to anybody else, it's just that one loss that uh, was a tight game that ballooned into a three touchdown loss in the fourth quarter, you know, looks bad, but it was also to the number two, now the number two team in the country. And, uh, you know, it does kind of set up some interesting things. If things fall the right way, you know, it could be Georgia against Ohio State, uh, Michigan, uh, it could be uh, if both teams lose, it could be Michigan versus Ohio State in the semifinal and Georgia against Alabama in a semifinal. Boy, would that, would that be interesting. And, um, you know, would they cook the books then and make Alabama the three and Ohio State the four uh, to uh, to avoid uh, SEC Big Ten semifinal games? Boy, a lot of, a lot of intrigue out there. But, uh, you know, I think most Ohio State fans came away from the game just completely embarrassed by the team's performance. And I would think that Ryan Day would have to be as well. A lot of talk about him being on a hot seat. I don't feel that way. He's under a long-term contract, 31-2 and all-time against Big Ten teams in the regular season. But the bad thing is the two losses have come the last two years to their arch rival Michigan, and that's not something that Ohio State fans are used to dealing with. Yeah, I got to think if this committee really does its homework the way it's supposed to, that they're looking at this Ohio State-Michigan game much different than a lot of people across the country that are looking at 45-23. So if they dig into it, they see a competitive game until eight or nine minutes left in the game. All right. Well, you mentioned the Big Ten championship game. I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion. Nobody's really taken that too seriously. We saw what Michigan did to Iowa. We know what the East has done to the West eight consecutive times. Michigan's roughly a 17 or 18 point favorite, which seems justified. I saw a couple comments that uh, Jeff Brom made after this Indiana win 30 to 16. So while the nation was focused on Columbus, Ohio, yeah, in Bloomington, Indiana, there was a championship to be won by the Boilers and they got past a uh, pretty marginal to be kind Indiana team. And it wasn't that impressive. It took a long time for them to pull away. But Brom said after the game, something about, um, you know, a lot of teams had to lose. A lot of teams had to slip up around us in the division to give us this opportunity. He also made a comment that we never expected to be here. And I thought, wow, that if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the Western division of the Big Ten, that the champion says, you know what? <laughs> Other teams had to slip up for us to get here. And also, uh, we didn't really, you know, this wasn't really a goal or an expectation of us. We just kind of hey, we won enough games and here we are. Well, I have a couple of thoughts about that. I understand what he meant about saying we didn't expect to be here because on November the 5th, they lost at home to Iowa 24 to 3. And on that day, they were 5 and 4 overall and just 3 and 3 in the conference. And Illinois had the thing basically on lockdown. At that point, they had like a two-game lead in this division. So I take it that's my belief. That's what he meant was just a few weeks ago. We couldn't have pictured ourselves in this position after we got humbled at home by Iowa 24 to three in any given year. If you lose the games that they lost in the division 
at Wisconsin, 35 to 24, and at home to Iowa, 24 and three. The two teams that have dominated this division, Wisconsin and Iowa, one of them typically represents the West. You know, I know Northwestern did twice, but uh, here recently, but usually it's Wisconsin and Iowa are the front runners in this division. And I think when you lose games to them, you don't expect to win the, 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 the division championship. You assumed it was going to be Illinois. And then going into the weekend, you assumed it was going to be Iowa because they were playing Nebraska, one of the worst teams in the league at, uh, at home and, and lost inexplicably uh, at home to a team that they beat like a drum year in and year out. Nebraska played this amazing football game on Friday and opened the door for Purdue to have this opportunity. So that's my first thought about Purdue. But Purdue also down the stretch won at Illinois. They beat Illinois 31 to 24 at Illinois, came home, beat Northwestern, and then they went on the road in a rivalry game, won by two touchdowns over Indiana, 30 to 16. Yes, Indiana's terrible. We, we grant you that. So they get to eight and four, six and three. They got a quarterback who could throw the ball all over the field in Aiden O'Connell. And I think him testing the Michigan defense is going to be a lot of fun to watch on the fast track inside at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, as I said, in this stretch, Purdue did beat Illinois 31-24. Uh, to 24, And this is the same Illinois team just nine days ago that went into the big house and had the lead in the final seconds before Michigan kicked the field goal. So I know Michigan played great in the rivalry game against Ohio State. But there's also two, two sentiments here. Did Michigan play its best game and leave everything it had on the field at Ohio State? And we'll see how they play when they get to Indianapolis to go for a repeat Big Ten championship. Could they be in line for a bit of a letdown in that game? Because it is a, quote, lesser opponent with an 8-4 and four Purdue team. And the second thing is with Aiden O'Connell capable of throwing for 300 or 400 yards in any given day, probably against any given team, even Michigan, if everything, you know, if they, if they don't get to him, he's going to, he's going to throw for 250, 300 yards. He threw for 365 against Penn state, 424 against Syracuse, uh, 320 against Wisconsin. And they had a pretty good defense. So uh, this is a guy that, that could put some numbers on the board and could keep Purdue theoretically in this game into the fourth quarter. If Michigan isn't able to hit some of those big plays like they did against Ohio State. They've not been known as a big play type team. So um, I look at it, you, you said 17, and that's the first I heard of that. I would have thought it was going to be around 10 to 14 as a spread, but uh, 17 sounds like an awful lot for a team that should have really good support. Uh, the Purdue people are probably scrambling to get tickets. Uh, a lot of them won't have to stay in a hotel room. And, uh, you know, can drive in during the day on Saturday and go to the game and, uh, you know, check out uh, the Boilers. First time ever playing in Lucas Oil Stadium for the Big Ten Championship. The latest I see, Steve, is 16 and a half Michigan. So, yeah, Purdue. Sounds like an awful lot to me, Mark. Who did Michigan, other than Ohio State, who did they beat by 16 and a half points this year? They Pretty much nobody as good as Purdue. Yeah, I you mean know, Rutgers, Indiana, those yeah. kind of teams. Yeah, the teams with losing records. Yeah, so yeah, this Purdue team, the way it's built, really <clears throat> intrigues me because put Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois, the best teams in the Big Ten West, put them in a bucket. They all play similar styles. 
give it to the running back, whether that's Chase Brown or somebody else, rely on a really good defense and try to button it up and, and get yourself to a win, you know, in the 20 point range. And that's the way most of them played and did play this entire season, except for Purdue. Purdue, like you say, uh, you could argue that they've got the second best quarterback in the Big Ten after what we saw from J.J. McCarthy. Okay, number three. Wherever you want to place him, he can really, yeah. I saw the Syracuse game. I saw the Penn State game. I saw Purdue play a number of times. They played a really uh, entertaining game against Maryland where they won on a two-point conversion at the end, 31-29. Yeah, Aiden O'Connell. Charlie Jones comes in from Iowa where he just has to be the happiest guy on the planet uh, to have a ball thrown his direction once in a while. And he caught 97 passes from Aiden O'Connell this year. They've got Payne Durham, he's one of the best tight ends in college football. And this Devin Maccabee, if you want to see a guy run hard and run like maybe like a Mike Allstott from years ago in Purdue lore, that's your guy, Devin Maccabee. It's a fun team to watch and kind of a change up as to what else the Big Ten Western Division would uh, have given us in a championship game. So I think they've got a puncher's chance. And to your to your point, Steve, just again, a much different team, not a not a team that's going to show up and play like Michigan and get out talented. It's a team that because of the quarterback and the passing game has, um, you know, poses a threat. Yeah, I'm interested to see this game played out. And, uh, you know, uh, Michigan, again, they should know and believe that they're in the playoffs. So they've even got bigger fish to fry than this, although it's nice to win the Big Ten Championship. I believe they will be going for a record 44th uh, Big Ten Championship. I think they have 43, and Ohio State has 40 now, uh, counting even the 2010 one that was uh, uh, vacated. But, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there is something there for both teams. Obviously, Purdue probably – uh, to my recollection, may have won one with Drew Brees back around 2000 or something like that with uh, going to the Rose Bowl, I think, one year with Drew Brees. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see this game played out because, uh, it, you know, it's human nature. Um, you know, these kids are not robots. They just can't get up to play a football game every seven days. You know, just like like you would just program a robot to go play a game and assume it's going to be fine. It doesn't work like that. These are human beings. I think it's just a natural progression that, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, they have everybody slapping them on the back today and telling them how great they are. Well, here's news to you. You got to go back up, you know, Saturday night in Indianapolis and prove it all over again against a hungry team that is is fighting for history here for, for Purdue. Yeah, and you nailed it on the last uh, Purdue Big Ten Championship, that Rose Bowl team that lost to Washington with uh, one Drew Brees at quarterback. Uh, that was actually a three-way tie for the Big Ten Championship between the last Michigan team to win in Columbus, Northwestern, and Purdue. Cali football fans, the season seems to get better each and every week. The matchups are ridiculously good and getting better now that we're in conference play. You're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices and – we want to make sure you take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. We know that buying college football tickets online requires trust, and Ticket Smarter has partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They have also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner as well. And with the best selection of NCAA football tickets, 
Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. Purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices in the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. And we've got an additional offer for those listening to all our podcasts here on College Gridiron Coast to Coast. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off your order of $100 or more. And that code isn't just a one-time deal. No. Use our code as many times as you want this season for the best selection of college football seats to the biggest games. Check out the selections and the pricing now with Ticket Smarter. And remember our code, GRIDIRON22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. All right, Steve, let's work our way to the coaching carousel in the Big Ten Western Division, which I got to think uh, for a division that's been so downtrodden, these two additions in the coaching position have to be welcome hires. Uh, they both look like good hires to me. Matt Rule announced a couple days ago at Nebraska, obviously, he's going to be announced to the media on Monday. But Luke Fickle is the one that uh, I'd like to really hit on here. Uh, you have extensive time covering Luke Fickle as both player and coach at Ohio State. He's a guy that has made it very well known. He wants to say in a certain part of the country. He obviously has strong ties to the Big Ten. Did this one, um, how did this one hit you, Luke Fickle to Wisconsin? Yeah, that kind of came out of left field. I guess maybe two weeks ago. Wisconsin may have reached out to him to kind of start the ball rolling to talk about it through some back channels, I suppose. And uh, obviously uh, Cincinnati faltered on Friday, uh, lost at home to Tulane. So they're not going to the conference championship game. Had that happened, perhaps this would have been forestalled because they still would have had a chance to win the conference and go on to a new year's six bowl game. But that is now out of the, out of the picture for the university of Cincinnati. He's a, uh, perhaps had the best tenure of any coach in the history of the university of Cincinnati, got him into the college football playoff for goodness sakes last year. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot I could say about Luke, very deserving of this opportunity to coach at the big 10 level. Uh, obviously was the, the, the head coach at Ohio state in 2011 when uh, Jim Tressel resigned on Memorial day due to all of the, allegations around the program and everything that had gone on with the Terrell Pryor situation and the, the tattoos and memorabilia scandal and everything that happened there. But uh, he kind of was put in an untenable position there. The team went six and seven that year, lost a heartbreaker to Michigan at the end of the year. They upset Wisconsin, who uh, ultimately won the Big Ten championship with Russell Wilson as his one season as the quarterback of Wisconsin, Ohio State upset them at home. Lost to Florida, the Gators, down at the Gator Bowl. They end up 6-7, and seven, a heartbreaker down there. Came back, worked for Urban Meyer, was the dutiful assistant, and uh, they win the national championship together in 2014, and he's one of the top assistant coaches in college football for a few years there. In Cincinnati, uh, after Tommy Tuberville up and left, uh, he was the uh, – the, the the pretty clear choice to go down there and take over that program and, and did a great job with the Bearcats in his first, uh, you know, chance as, you know, I call it maybe a full-time head coach. I mean, 
you know, whatever that was in 2011 is on his record, but doggone, he was handed a, a poop sandwich and, and made to eat it in front of the world with a team that had guys that were suspended and, you know, different things. It was, you know, it was a messy situation to say the least. So um, he uh, really uh, put a winner on the field at Cincinnati. And I thought maybe he would stay and they would give him big 12 money, you know, to be the coach at Cincinnati as they make the move into the big time themselves uh, with the big 12. But I think he also may see the shifting tides of, of what's going on here with college football. The big 12 isn't exactly the same big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma going forward. And um, the TV money may not be quite as much in that conference as it, as it could have been. And so a chance to get into the big 10, which is along with the sec, the two preeminent conferences in the country uh, says it all keeps the door open that he could go uh, anywhere else down the line, if ever called upon, including his alma mater, if that day ever came, he could always leave there to come to Ohio State, not a direct rival, although it's in the conference. So, uh, you know, I, um, I, I would say as somebody who knows Luke, I think he's ready for this, and I'm happy for him. And I think he's going to do an outstanding job at Wisconsin. I think, uh, you know, there are enough good players there. Uh, to keep, if he can keep some good players there, they could be a really good team next year. Got to recruit Ohio and got to recruit uh, Illinois and Chicago. Those are the two uh, areas that I think that uh, Luke will do well with. He'll get his offensive linemen that are that are uh, grain fed and uh, dairy produced up there in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, and that'll be that. Uh, they'll 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 be a good team going forward, no doubt. And just a thought about rule, uh, Mark, if you can win at Temple. Uh, and if you could win at Baylor after the uh, Art Bryles scandal, you can win anywhere. So, uh, you know, he was in over his skis a little bit in the NFL with Carolina. I think that may have been one of those cases where he was promoted well beyond his level uh, too quickly. But uh, he uh, was definitely a great college coach at Temple and Baylor. And uh, that's what Nebraska needs is a great college coach. We thought Scott Frost was going to be the guy is the homegrown guy to do it. But Rule is a no-nonsense uh, college football coach and right out straight out of central casting. So I think uh, this is a guy who's going to go down to Texas, uh, go into Florida, go to California, and go get top players the best that he can and put a winner on the field in Lincoln. And they have the best, one of the best fan bases in the country, in Nebraska, been there several times for games, they support the team unlike any other anybody else in the country, other than you know maybe here at Ohio State or um, maybe Alabama. I don't even know you know who who the top quote most ardent fan bases is. But for a loser bird like Nebraska has been for the last decade, for them to still have the same kind of success or the same kind of support that they have out of that fan base says so much about what it means there. And to me. Uh, you know, I've made this comment before. I flew there after the Rose Bowl last year to cover a basketball game, and I could get there from Los Angeles in three hours. That tells me an awful lot. That it, Lincoln, Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska is a three-hour flight from just about anywhere in the United States of America. So they should be able to go into all 50 states and get players to come there. I'm not saying necessarily top 25 guys, but 
top 200 guys should want to go there because their family can get on a plane, come to their game without too much of a problem, you know, a few times a year, and uh, they can get home a few times a year, and it's not that big a deal. Nebraska used to have that pipeline of talent going to Texas that I think has been lost to a certain extent in moving to the Big Ten and that disconnect between opponents in the conference. But you make a good point about Matt Rule, of course, with the success at Baylor. You've got to think that he has a number of recruiting routes already grounded there in Texas that he can draw from. And if they're looking for a program builder, and that's exactly what they need right now, they've got a guy that's shown it twice, and that's usually what you want when you are looking for a head coach is to see somebody who has replicated it a couple times. Temple hadn't won a conference championship in 50 years. He accomplished that there. And uh, most notably, I remember Temple playing a ABC primetime game against Notre Dame. They had risen to a spot where they could actually get a primetime ABC game with him as head coach. Uh, and they actually, you know, got a little bit of a national splash there when he was there, won 10 games, two consecutive years. Then he moves on to Baylor, one in 11 his first year. Bam, he's in the Big 12 championship game two years later and uh, going to the Sugar Bowl. So Matt Rule's done it. A lot of guys have been chewed up and spit out by the NFL. So I don't think that's that much of a concern as he takes on another college job at Nebraska. All right, folks. Well, we welcome you to Big Ten Paradigm. We appreciate you being here and uh, join us on the Voice of College Football with myself, Mark Rogers. We got Steve Hellwagon here from Bucknuts. Get on over to Bucknuts. Check out Steve's work covering Ohio State football and basketball. And again, Steve and I get together with Tony Gerdeman and Kevin Noon on our Ohio State live show on our YouTube channel, uh, the Voice of College Football, Ohio State. That's every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Steve, we appreciate you stopping by, making this happen for us. Yep, no problem. Hey, one last thought. Congrats to Penn State. Definitely a New Year's Six Bowl for them after beating Michigan State. And, uh, you know, Cotton Bowl perhaps. I don't know if they can go to the Orange Bowl or not. Maybe the Orange Bowl. If that, I don't know what the status on the contracts is with that. And if Ohio State's in the playoff, then they're going to the Rose Bowl. So, uh, good reward for uh, James Franklin. Well paid, obviously. And, uh, you know, not the season that they wanted. They didn't beat Ohio State or Michigan to get into that upper, upper echelon. But uh, right there, and we'll still have a nice uh, holiday reward somewhere here with a big-time bowl game. Folks, we upload every Monday, and we'll catch you on back here next Monday on Big Ten Paradigm, part of the College Gridiron Coast-to-Coast Network. Talk to you next week.